Let us pray. Almighty God, once more draw near and pour your spirit upon our hearts and our minds to renew us, to redeem us, to cause us to know you more fully. Enable us, O Lord, to follow Jesus as he has called us. Enable us to follow in the kingdom that he has called us into. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. For there is mercy with you, therefore you shall be feared. Isn't that a strange way of describing God's mercy? For there is mercy with you, therefore you shall be feared, therefore you shall be respected and honored and recognized for who you are. It's a case of for God to have mercy, it means that there must be justice to begin with. There must be righteousness. There must be some way in which the people he shows mercy toward have broken and gone against the calling and the character of who God is. For there is mercy, therefore you shall be feared. The Lord pours out his mercy on his people. He pours out his grace, his kindness, his favor upon his people because he is a righteous God. Mercy only comes when there is righteousness that has been gone against. If there is no law, there is no mercy. If there is nothing to be obeyed that we can avoid obeying, then there's no need for mercy when we don't obey it. But mercy exists because there is justice. Forgiveness exists because God is a righteous God. In our passage from the gospel today, we hear Jesus say, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. These are words we've all heard over and over and over again throughout our lives, I'm sure. If we haven't directly read them in Mark, we've read them in other places, and we've heard even John the Baptist saying pretty much the same thing. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Turn away from what you once were and believe the gospel. Believe the good news. But I think that there are some things underneath this passage that I never fully grasped or realized as I was studying this week. I love that about Scripture, that sometimes you can kind of have one idea of what a passage is driving home, but then kind of start studying some other aspects of it and discover like, oh, there's more here. There's more to be talked about besides the usual things. Hmm. There's something else that we can draw out of this passage about what Jesus is doing here, what he is calling his people to. And that, yes, he is calling us to repent and believe the gospel. And he's calling us to follow him. And just as these first four disciples became fishers of men, we too are called to be ones who go out and catch people and bring them into the kingdom. But what does that involve? What does that mean for us? What did it mean for them? I hope as we go through this, we, we hear a little bit more of what it means to do these things, to follow Jesus, to repent and believe, and to be fishers of men. And so we just simply start there at verse 14. St. Mark writes, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And here was the first thing that jumped out at me this week that I never really paid attention to in the past, surprisingly. 
after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. John was arrested probably about a year after he baptized Jesus. There's a time jump that happens here after the 40 days in the wilderness. There's a year that passes before John, before Jesus comes into Galilee and John is arrested. For during that time, Jesus was still ministering, but he wasn't being the itinerant preacher that we come to think of him as. He wasn't traveling quite in the same way. He wasn't preaching in quite the same way, you might think. He was still preaching the good news, but he wasn't as outward and forward with it, traveling around in so many wider circles. He was biding his time, waiting for that time when John would be arrested, when, when the Father would signal, now is the time to fully start your ministry, to fully go forth. And so this segues into last week's gospel reading rather nicely there from John chapter 1, when Jesus encounters Philip and Nathaniel. And in the day prior, encountering Andrew and Peter and James and John. That was happening right after Jesus was baptized. So the events of John 1 are occurring almost a year prior to what Mark tells us right now. And so that means that Philip and Andrew, James and John, or Peter and Andrew, James and John, have all known Jesus for basically a year at this point. They met him and they believed in him a year prior. They recognized that he is in some way the Messiah, that he is the king who was promised to come. And so they are already his followers at this point, but they're not following him everywhere he goes, for he has not called them yet to do that. Yes, he has called them to his side, but they are still returning back to Capernaum. They're returning back to their regular daily activities, mending nets and catching fish. That was the career that they were in. That was the vocation they were in. And so they were returning to that in between times with Jesus. But here, after John is arrested, Jesus moves his ministry into high gear. He begins moving it toward that ultimate end goal of his crucifixion and resurrection. For now, he takes up the message that John the Baptist had been proclaiming, that the kingdom of God was at hand, and that it was time for repentance to be preached. And so Jesus goes out, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The time is fulfilled. There in that phrase, the time is fulfilled, it's not time like we think about it usually, linear moments going by, seconds passing, hours passing, days passing. That's chronological time. Here is a fun Greek word, kairos. It can be thought of as a season or an age. The time is fulfilled. The season is completed. There's a new season beginning. There's a new age starting right now. This is an epical moment for us all to rest in. For this moment isn't tied to a particular chronological moment, but is a changing of seasons, a changing of the tide, a time that extends far, far into the future. The time is fulfilled. The Old Testament has been completed. John has been arrested, the last and greatest prophet of the Old Testament. And now Jesus the Messiah has stepped into the scene fully and completely moving forward with his ministry. It's a new Kairos moment. It's a new moment and the kingdom of God is at hand because Jesus has stepped forward into this moment 
to proclaim that moment that extends forevermore. And the kingdom of God isn't a physical kingdom as we know. The kingdom of God is wherever the Father reigns over hearts and minds of people. And of course, he reigns over the hearts and minds of people who are united to Jesus, for they have been changed into the kind of people that Jesus is. They've been united to him and renewed in their heart and their mind. They've been made into new creations because Jesus is the center of new creation. He is the one in whom the Father is perfectly pictured, perfectly imaged. He is the true image of God that we are drawn to, that we are pulled into, that we are made one with in order that we too would reflect that very image. And the kingdom of God is at hand because Jesus is here. Because Jesus is here, God can extend his reign over the hearts and minds of all kinds of people. Not just those people who have immediately been given the covenant, the old covenant, the Mosaic law that have been raised and taught in that, but yet don't quite grasp the depths of what is going on, that don't grasp that they are a people who are to be a blessing to all the nations. There are people who are to be set aside in order that the Messiah and the King of all creation would come forth out of them and spread the blessing that God had placed on Israel across the whole world. And that blessing is the kingdom. The blessing is God's reign over our hearts and minds to find our rest in God alone, to find our peace, our comfort, our joy in God himself. Because that's what we were created to do. That's what Adam and Eve were intended to do in the garden, to rest and the Father, to walk with the Son, and to know the Spirit's drawing them into union with that very Son. They had perfect communion with the Father, with God Himself there in the garden. They had complete communion with Him. And yet they fell, they walked away, they sinned. They chose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to pursue good and evil in their own way to pursue that which God would have given to them eventually through obedience. They would have come to understand the difference between good and evil by trusting the Father, by trusting what God was doing in them. But in the temptation from the serpent, they fell. They turned from God and became and chose to want to be like little gods, understanding good and evil on their own apart from the Creator. And so the kingdom of God was broken in that moment. He no longer fully reigned over the hearts and mind, the hearts and minds of Adam and Eve, for their minds became darkened with sin. Their hearts became darkened with sinfulness. But yet God is merciful. God didn't start over right then. Instead, no, he gave them a promise. There in the midst of the cursings that he placed upon them because of their misdeeds, he gave a promise that out of the woman a seed would come that would crush the head of the serpent. Out of the woman would come a Messiah, a Savior, who would undo the sin that had been brought into the world and who would bring about a new creation, a renewal of all things. The kingdom of God is at hand because Jesus has now come. That snake killer, that snake crusher has arrived on the scene. And in fact, here in Mark, just a couple of verses before, we see him defeat Satan in the wilderness. We hear of him standing against the temptations of Satan and withstanding them and then going forward in the calling that the Father had placed on him. 
But Jesus continues and says, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent. Turn away from your sins. Turn away from who you are in yourself. Turn back. And we heard what the primary sin was there over in Jeremiah, didn't we? Idolatry. This turning from God to worship other gods, to worship the creation instead of the creator. To worship oneself over against the one who has given us the law. The one who has given us and revealed to us what righteousness truly is. And instead we pursue our own path. That's the idolatry that we are guilty of. Pursuing our own way of doing things. Walking our own path. Not walking the path that God has set before us by seeing his law. By recognizing that that law reveals to us the character of the very God who created us. Instead, we go our own way, pursuing our own desires, pursuing what we want to do, instead of following what God has called us to do. And so Jesus comes forward and says, repent, turn back from those things. Turn back and believe in the gospel. Believe in the gospel. Something new that I learned this week was a relationship of that Greek word euangelion to a Hebrew word. Basoroff, I believe is how it was said, which is basically means the same thing, good news. But that particular Hebrew word is almost always used in the Old Testament with reference to military victories. In fact, it's not just used with military victories. It's even used to tell people about a military defeat when their people have lost. So it's not always good news. But much and oftentimes it is used to talk about that military victory, the defeating of the enemies, and the winning of the people of God. And so there's a sense there in that word gospel that there is a military defeat that is coming because the kingdom of God is at hand. There is a great defeat about to occur. And so believe this good news that there is a defeat about to occur. There is someone who is about to be crushed and pushed down and broken by this Messiah and by this kingdom that has come upon us. And that defeat is the Messiah going to the cross to crush the head of the serpent. For there, the power of Satan over us, through the sinfulness he has brought into this world by tricking Adam and Eve into sinning, he is crushed through the cross. For all of that sin, all of that brokenness that we commit that we have committed, that all the generations of man have committed, were placed on Christ there at the cross. And it was dealt with through his death. And in his resurrection, righteousness can be poured out upon the people of God. We can know the fullness of God's mercy because he has dealt with our sin on the cross. And there, at that cross, by the resurrection, is a victory incomprehensible to us here on this side of eternity. There is a victory that is accomplished by Jesus. And that is the glad tidings he's bringing, that he is going to crush Satan himself. Death, hell, and the grave will be cast aside because of the victory he is going to accomplish. That is the gospel that Jesus comes to proclaim his winning and defeating Satan. His winning the day. The kingdom of God will be triumphant. The kingdom of God will defeat all of its enemies. And so passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, 
casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat and with, and with the hired servants and followed Jesus. As I said earlier, this isn't the first time that they have encountered Jesus. They have known him for about a year at this point, and so they've interacted with him off and on as they've done their travels to meet him, and he's come to meet them. As they have gone down to Jerusalem, according to John, on a couple of occasions at this point. But they have remained there in Galilee, working beside the sea, mending their nets and catching fish. But now Jesus comes onto the scene after John is arrested, proclaiming the kingdom, and he says to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. This fishers of men is an image that we often think of as just a mere metaphor, not necessarily a fulfillment of some scriptural passage. But one commentator I was listening to this week points out that Fishing isn't always a positive image in the Old Testament. In fact, over in Jeremiah 16, there's a reference to the idea of the people going into exile and God sending out fishermen and hunters to come and bring judgment and drag them back to the land. That there's a sense of judgment that comes with them being fishers, with them being ones who go out and catch so there's a little bit of a dark side to this fishers of men. It's not just a pleasant, oh, we'll catch people and bring them into the kingdom because that catching of people involves us telling them you have to die in order to become what God desires you to be. In one sense, we bring judgment on people by preaching repentance and belief, by telling them that you have chosen your own way, but God is calling you from that, and that call means turning from that, turning and repenting saying, God is the truth-teller, and I am the liar. God is the true God, and I am the false God. And I turn from my false God of myself to the true God of creation. To be a fisher of men is to tell people that they are condemned if they remain in their sinful ways. But also, to say that there is a gospel, there has been a victory accomplished, that God has accomplished a victory of renewal, a victory of new creation, for there is mercy with God. Because he has dealt with that which went against him. He has dealt with our idolatry. He has dealt with all of our lawlessness. And he calls these disciples to be fishers of men. He calls the four of them to come and follow him, to become those fishers of men who will go out into the chaotic waters, who will go out into chaos, and cast their nets and call forth men out of the seas, calling them forth into the gospel, into the kingdom, into the reign and rule of God himself. That they will bring mercy because they tell us that we need mercy. They bring forgiveness because they tell us we need forgiveness. To never know you're a sinner means you never recognize your need for forgiveness. To never know that you need mercy is to never ask for mercy. But with God, there is mercy, mercifulness in plenty. Because he has called us to himself. He has called us to repentance through Jesus, 
Because Jesus has taken that which separated us from the Father away from us in order that what unites Him to the Father could be poured out upon us. And that we are given the Spirit to walk forward now also in that same kind of way. To go forth saying the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. For that is what it means to follow Jesus, is to take that as your own understanding, to take that upon yourself, that repentance and belief is part and parcel of every day of my life now. Every day I am called to repent of my idolatry and my lawlessness, to turn away from it and to confess that I am a sinner. And then to turn in that same breath and have faith and trust in the gospel. That is that God has defeated all evil at the cross. That he has defeated even my sin upon the cross. That that is the greatest military victory has been accomplished on my behalf by the Son and the will of the Father. And embracing that, we then go forth with that same message, calling people into repentance, calling them to the forgiveness of God himself, to the forgiveness that is found in that military victory, that the rebels no longer need rebel against God, for he has pardoned them as they come to him. He has offered them forgiveness for rebelling. They can return to him, and their evil deeds are forgotten and no more remembered. That is what happens when the kingdom of God comes and repentance and belief is preached, the rebels turn. The rebels return to their old king, to the true king that they have turned against. And we do that each and every day in our daily lives. As Paul reminds us, don't try to escape from where God has called you. Don't try to escape from where you are when you became a believer. Follow the path that God has placed you on where you are and let that and let the Spirit lead you down that path. God may call you into other vocations after that, but in that moment, rest in the will of God that you are where He desires you to be. He calls you to follow Him. And some of us, like the apostles, will be called into full-time ministry. Others will be called into ministry amongst their family and friends, amongst their co-workers and their employers. And that is what God does. He gives us his spirit so we can each equally go forth as fisher of men, proclaiming the gospel, telling people that the kingdom of God is here. And so we are called to follow Jesus in that same way, proclaiming that the time is fulfilled. We are in the Kairos moment. We are in the moment where salvation has been poured out upon this earth and this man, Jesus, who is also truly God. And so I repent and I believe because God has given me his spirit in order that I might do that. And so I am able to then go out and be a fisher of men. I am able to go out and call people to Jesus, to tell them, follow Jesus. Follow him and he will make you new once more. For he is the kingdom of God itself. Jesus is that very kingdom where the rule and the reign of God is perfect. And we are brought into Jesus himself, bound up and united with him that we too are part of that kingdom of God now and that we too can go forth in joy to proclaim what Jesus has called us to proclaim, to repent and to believe in the good news of Jesus himself. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen.